wade into and it's deep enough to drown an elephant. And so for my Lenten trick, I'm going to try to be a swimming elephant. After reading John this week, whoa, there's a lot in this gospel. It's deep stuff. So we're in chapter 6 of John's gospel, and one of the ways that John's gospel is organized is that um, Jesus has these experiences. They're narratives of Jesus, followed by Jesus' commentary. Jesus' red letters, if you have a red-letter Bible. And if you're reading a red-letter Bible and you're in John's Gospel, I think it's really important to see what comes before that, because usually he's talking about what he's just experienced. So in the sixth chapter of John's Gospel, Jesus feeds a crowd of 5,000 people. Then he walks across the water, the Sea of Galilee, simply saying, I am, do not be afraid setting us up for the first of the I am sayings in John's gospel, which you're going to hear at the end of this passage. This is John chapter 6, beginning with verse 22. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they ask him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they ask him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The story of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Years ago, when my middle child was in preschool, she complained quite a bit that her feet hurt a lot. And so we eventually discovered that Alice had flat feet, and we put arch support in her shoes, and that solved the problem. But a part of figuring that out involved a trip to the pediatric podiatrist. And Alice had had enough experience with doctors to suspect that she might be poked and prodded. And so even though she was in the back seat of my car, in her car seat, I could tell that she was worried as we drove to the doctor's office. I did my best to put her at ease by saying, sweetie, don't be afraid. 
This doctor is very nice. He just wants to see your feet. He just wants to look at your feet. You will take your shoes and socks off and you'll show him your bare feet. That's it. Well, she didn't trust me or my reassurance. In the doctor's office, she sat quietly and withdrawn in my lap. I continued to reassure her. Alice, it's okay. He just wants to see your feet, your bare feet. That's it. When the doctor came in, she didn't budge. It took quite a bit of convincing for me to get her shoes and socks off and to get her to walk up and down the hallway of the doctor's office. Then we got back into the car and we drove home, and she was quiet for about 10 minutes. Then she finally asked me, Mommy, do I have big girl feet or bare feet? Words can be confusing. Words can be confusing. And when I read John's gospel, I think that no one understands that words can be confusing more than Jesus. Jesus spends a good amount of time in this gospel bringing clarity to misunderstanding. And in our passage this morning, Jesus is having a conversation with a large group of people, with a crowd. Most of them were a part of the feeding of the 5,000 on the other side of the sea. And these people use the same words that Jesus uses, but they don't mean the same things that Jesus means. They use words like sign and do and see and believe and work and bread. Jesus says these words. People from the crowd say these words, but they mean different things. There's a misunderstanding. And much of the clarity for me happens in verse 32 of this passage. This is where we begin to see exactly what Jesus means. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven and gives life to the world. So Jesus says, It's not Moses who provided for the people, but it's my Father. Jesus says, it's not bread from heaven, but it's true bread from heaven. And we're not talking about the past. It's not has given, but it's gives. It's gives. And then in verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. You'll remember the story of the Israelites' freedom from Egypt the 16th chapter of Exodus recalls this part of the story, says that shortly after the people are freed from Egypt and they cross through the Red Sea, they start to complain. They grumble. They say, we should have just died in Egypt because in Egypt we sat around pots of meat and we ate all we wanted. Ah, the glory days of slavery. But you, Moses... You, Moses and Aaron, have led us out here. You've led us out here in the wilderness to starve. Then the Lord says to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven. I'll rain down bread from heaven for you. The people will go out and they'll gather enough for the day. And then the Lord says to all of the Israelites, the whole community, in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am I am the Lord your God. So it's all pretty straightforward and clear. Bread every day, 
will be provided except for the Sabbath. But every day you pick up and you eat what is needed. But there's confusion. The people keep the bread. They hoard the bread. There's no need to. It appears every morning except the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, well, there are some There are always some people, aren't there, that go out to gather the bread, and it's not there. They're shocked, but they don't prepare for the Sabbath rest as the Lord has instructed. The people eat this bread, this manna, for 40 years, Exodus 16 says. They eat this bread from heaven for 40 years until they reach the border of Canaan. So Jesus has a crowd of people who are part of the miraculous feeding of the 5,000. And instead of seeing the miracle as a sign, telling them who Jesus is, telling them that Jesus is the Son of God, the Son of Man, the one on whom God's seal of approval has been placed, they want more bread. They say to Jesus, give us more. Give us more bread, more miracles, more of anything you've got. And basically, Jesus says, no, it's enough. I am enough. As we enter into a season of Lent, I think it's fair to ask, where is your hunger that never stops? Now, I'm not talking about starvation. I'm not talking about where you are completely without. Jesus here is addressing people with full bellies. I'm talking about what is it that you already have that you desire to have more and more and more of? What's worth hoarding to you? Is it esteem or respect or safety, control, knowledge? When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he is saying, I am enough. I am enough for you right now. Right now is an important piece of the clarity, I believe. The crowd says in verse 31 of this passage, Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus tells them, it's not gave. We're not talking about gave. It's not that God has given bread to your ancestors. It's gives. It's God gives you bread right now, true bread from heaven to you. A few weeks ago, I mentioned a class that's taught at Yale called the Happiness Class. It's taught by a professor named Dr. Lori Santos. And a quarter of all Yale students now take this class at some point during their stay on campus You can also take the class online for free. It's called The Science of Well-Being. And in the class, if you take the class, you have four pieces of homework every night, 10 minutes of meditation, eight hours of sleep. Think of five things that you're thankful for and do one good thing for another person. This week, I read an article from a student of Dr. Santos who said that he had homework in the class that was unique to him, and the homework that was unique to him was to learn to savor experiences, to learn to savor life's experiences, and I thought, aha, that must be my homework for this week as I'm studying the bread of life, savoring 
So to savor is to step outside of an experience and to really appreciate it. The author of the article says that he went for a run and he had this moment when he's running where a strong gust of wind hits his back and almost lifts him off of the ground and giving him really briefly, just for a moment or two, a sense of wonder and awe. And so the key is, then what do you do next? Well, he told his wife about it because the key is holding on to that sense of wonder and awe. So in retelling the story, you get it a little bit longer, the sense of wonder and awe, remembering, reflecting, and retelling. My seminary professor, who was also my advisor, had a favorite saying for me. She used to say, any experience without reflection, Dinah, is pointless. And especially of the good stuff, right? The good experiences are worth reflecting on. They're worth retelling. They're worth holding on to that sense of wonder and awe. They're worth savoring. So I tried it out yesterday. I was outside yesterday. It was a beautiful day. I was outside just after noon, and I was at a driving range with my son, who's 12 years old, and he was putting and chipping on the green there, and there were trees back behind him. There was a breeze in the trees. There were birds singing. My feet and my bum were in the grass on a hill, and I, for a minute, remembered this is the child that had surgery on his arm last summer. His arm is working well now. Savoring. It tasted great. I heard a spiritual director say this week, living the truth of God's incarnation is about simply noticing God in our midst. Knowing that God is here with us, that the Lord is here with us in every moment and every day. Jesus says, I am enough. I am the bread of life right now. Danielle Schroyer is a pastor in the Dallas area, and she teaches that the communion table, the communion table is the dinner table of God. And she says, and I agree with her, we're all invited, no one is excluded, and no one has to do anything or believe anything to come and eat at this dinner table. God does the work. We don't have to do the work. And she teaches that the main course, the entree, is life, and that the appetizer is also life, and that dessert at this table is also life. Life is what's offered at this table, only life, the bread of life for all of us, anytime. Would you join me in the prayer of great thanksgiving as we prepare for communion? The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, almighty God. You are creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God, and spoke to us through your prophets. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and we join their unending hymn. 
Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ. Your spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to announce that the time had come when you would save your people. He healed the sick, fed the hungry, and ate with sinners. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. On the night in which he took himself, he gave himself up for us. He took bread, gave thanks to you. He broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this, all of you, this is my blood. It's a new covenant. It's poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often uh, as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of the faith. The Christ has died, the Christ has risen, the Christ will come again. Almighty God, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in his final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Amen. Amen. What he means by this is that to attain perfection, we love perfectly. It's the same idea of perfection that we declare each week in our services. Christian perfection, says Wesley, is to love God with all of your heart, with all of your souls, with all of your might, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, a full discussion of this idea is a little bit too nuanced for our time this morning, but essentially Christian perfection is this. If you set your heart on perfect love, that perfect love of God and of neighbor, then you are moving towards perfection. For Wesley, the key was intentionality. He acknowledged that we would make mistakes, that we would transgress love, but those mistakes are just that. They do not drive a wedge between us and God. They're opportunities to return to the path. To stay in love with God is to engage in the journey towards perfection. That path is walked through acts of tangible love in the world. It's to engage in spiritual disciplines for the sake of the world around you. The yoke of Torah is admittedly rather shocking. When we find that there are 613 commandments just in the first five books of the Bible, it's easy for that yoke to weigh down on us. But the yoke of our teacher is instead easy, and his burden is light. Our yoke gives us rest presence, 
and purpose in our vocation. I'd like to invite you to listen to our scripture passage again. This time I'm going to ask you to sit and rest into your seats, to close your eyes, to breathe deeply. And I'm going to offer you Eugene Peterson's translation of these words. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on your religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Take on my yoke, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Amen. You might call the three general rules of the UMC the yoke of John Wesley. Do no harm, do good, stay in love with God. You might even say that these three rules really just boil down to the two. Love your God, love your neighbor. The rest is commentary. As you go, as you walk this path that the journey gives you, go and learn what that means. Pastor Dinah has closed us with a covenant each of the last two weeks as we've discussed these rules. Our covenant this week is simple, and I'd ask that you'd say these words with me. We will love God with all of our heart, soul, and might. We will love our neighbors as ourselves. Let us pray.